Our gracious Father, truly, indeed, uh, we use grace every day because we receive it every day. And I think, Lord, though, because I receive it every day, I tend to lose sight of the amazing, truly unbelievable gift that it is to your people and to me in particular. Lord, that we stand before you forgiven, forgiven of trespasses beyond measure, is truly a work that only you could do. We ask, Father, that in this hour, that you would show us how we might better apply what you have done for us in our own lives and in the end and in the lives of those who we need to forgive. I place this hour before you, Lord, and I ask that you direct our thoughts, the words that are spoken, that you would be truly glorified in this, that we would learn and, and that you would use this time to sanctify us to your glory. <clears throat> we thank you for your son and the work that he did in order that we may talk and discuss forgiveness. We thank you for your word and what it teaches us. We ask, Father, that we use it correctly and rightly. And then we lift the hour that follows. That as we move into the worship service, that we would, we would turn our hearts 100% towards the worship and glory of our Lord, our Father, our Comforter, and our Savior. I ask this in the name of your Son. Amen. So perhaps you can tell from my prayer that this has been a lesson that has been a rather um, convicting for me, I guess might be the word. I don't know that convicting is the right word because it's been a, it, it has been a bit of a struggle, I'll have to say. Um, because... Because in our chapter, which is chapter 6, and it's entitled, Justice, Love, Honor, and Abuse. Uh, and Keller, I think you can tell by the title that Keller is going to start getting kind of very specific in terms of some of the things that he is going to be applying the principles of forgiveness to. And... Um, And so, uh, I've spent much of my 
week studying for this and uh, really trying to get a handle on, on what is forgiveness. I unfortunately have not been able to listen to all of the Sunday school classes that preceded this. I have had a very busy time, and and I had hoped to do that. But but to my knowledge, I don't know that we've actually given a clear definition of what is forgiveness. We've been talking about it, but have we actually defined it? So I said, well, how do you define it? To myself. Uh, I had a problem <laughs> when I really got down to it. So, first of all, let's talk about distinctions. Is there a difference between divine forgiveness and human forgiveness? The answer is obvious. Somebody can blurt it out. Yes. Yes. And I think it's very important that we remember that because I think in, in very often we don't. When we start talking about forgiveness, <clears throat> we talk about the human forgiveness. And, I, and, and sometimes I do believe that we impose on that certain things that only... God can do. And so <clears throat> I think it's important for us to carry, to understand as best we can, what, are the, what is the distinction between divine and human forgiveness? So let me ask the question, where does divine forgiveness spring from? Sam? From God? Yes. Huh? So Art said the cross, which would be my immediate answer, I think. But that's not where forgiveness springs from. That's what forgiveness is based upon. But it's not where it springs from. Marty said God. But more, I think, specifically, it springs from the Godhead, right? The, the three persons of the Godhead are where forgiveness springs from. Before the world was created, a pact was made in the Trinity to save you if you are a child of God. Before the world was ever created. Okay? <clears throat> And at that time, it was understood that the Father would send the Son, that the Son would take 
and in humiliation would take on humanity and become incarnate, would live among his people, his creation, all right? Live perfectly because, because perfection was, was needed in order to accomplish the basis of forgiveness. <clears throat> Okay, and so my other question is, is how is forgiveness accomplished? Forgiveness is accomplished at the cross. So when we come to human forgiveness, where does the basis for human forgiveness come from? The same place. In fact, it's stated frequently, we forgive because we have been forgiven. Right? So let me ask you, if that's the case, does that mean that unbelievers cannot forgive? Because unbelievers, have they been forgiven? Well, I think there's a lot of people in this world who would say, I forgive, who don't believe in God, who probably exercise human forgiveness. Okay? But that human forgiveness, where does that human forgiveness come re, what on upon what basis does that human forgiveness draw in order to be forgiveness that basis has not changed has it well okay so so you you do provide a springboard into uh the next thing I'd kind of like to do, which is let's, let's look at the anatomy of offense. Because forgiveness basically presupposes that there has been an offense, right? There's nothing to forgive if there hasn't been an injustice committed towards you, if you are the person who needs to to uh, forgive. And so, we can construct it this way, taking the word perpetrator. There is a perpetrator. There is a violation of law, be it capital L or little l, all right? Against a victim. Is one way to construct this, right? Is, 
Is that, does that everybody kind of follow that? Okay. Or let's use an alliteration. You have an offender who commits an offense against an offended. I think find it very interesting that our language actually, you know, has those words constructed in this fashion. They are all related, obviously, and yet they express three different aspects of sin against one another. Because that's what this is about, right? In the case of divine forgiveness, it is about human's sin against a holy God. A, a, a God who made us to love Him. And in that love, and because of that love, to obey Him. Right? I said anything that anybody's got a problem with yet? Good. I will tell you, and I've spent a lot of time wrestling with this. I don't know why it's been so hard, but it really has been hard to get this distilled down like this for me. I don't know why. Probably to you, listen, this is, this is Christianity 101, but I don't know. Anyway. Okay, so. <clears throat> um, okay, so now let's talk about the offense. And I, there's, there seems, and, and you know, in, in thinking about it, there is a, and the word that we've been, I think that, that Keller has been using, and that we use even in our Lord's Prayer, in, our, in the prayer, of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Okay, so one aspect of an offense is a debt. What is that? Say what? <laughs> Art, using the legal definition, says it's something that's owed. But... And, and, and yes, that is an aspect. That definitely is an aspect. But when we say forgive us our debts, what are we really saying? Huh? Sin. That's right, right? Forgive us our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. And one thing I think to note about this is, is that once the deed is done, it can't be taken back. It can't be made to not, humanly speaking, uh, let's, let's, we are talking about human forgiveness now. Humanly speaking, when the deed is done, it cannot be withdrawn. Ever. In the here and now. During our life. Our sins 
every one of them, create a record. And that record, in one sense, never goes away in our lives. Now, I'm not saying that God has not provided... In fact, this is, this is what, to me, is kind of a little bit mind-blowing. That in the midst of this human problem that we cannot solve, and that we cannot but do, God has provided a mechanism for his whole human race for dealing with that debt between one another. But even in that, the debt never fully goes away, right? Another aspect of that debt is that injustice has taken place. And this is pretty important. It's pretty important because it helps inform and form. And actually, I mean, let me, and let me... And let me say, and how do we know this, I guess would be the question. We know this because it is justice that Christ was satisfying when he went to the cross. Is that right? There are also consequences. I was talking to Brad this to Brad about this yesterday. Brad said it's been stated that you can choose whether to commit the deed. But once you've committed the deed, you don't have control of the consequences. You don't get to choose the consequences. I remember it kind of that way, actually. He was just wagging his finger. <laughs> he's right. He was not wagging his finger at me, but it kind of, you know. Anyway. <clears throat> um, so what, are the con- what do we mean by consequences? We're talking about human. Forgiveness now. I'd, I'd like to keep our, I'd like to keep our conversation. We will go back to talking about divine forgiveness, but because because it will be divine forgiveness that informs human forgiveness, and, and we need. But but let's talk about the human dynamic that's going on here between one another. All right. So so. All right, so what do, we, what, do, what do I mean by consequences? Are consequences different than the debt? Let me start there. Are consequences different than the debt? Consequences are the result of sin. They are not the sin, 
right? Okay. Well, I think we can we can categorize them. I've categorized them two ways. There there is there is physical damage. Uh, uh, or harm, perhaps. I mean, uh, and obviously I'm using some of these words. Here's another interesting thing about this conversation is some of these words are words that today, especially in our secular society, have taken on very pejorative or, or special meaning, okay, like harm, okay, Harm is a word that is used today in, a, in the new morality, right? As long as it does no harm, it's okay. Okay? So, and, and I, I would like to say, if, if, if some of these words that we use are trigger words because of that, they're not intended to be. Okay? We're, we're, we're using these words in, in, in the... In, with respect of what they have historically meant, okay? But, but injustice is another word that today has, a, has very specific, can have very specific meanings and that can make me feel very uncomfortable. All right? But injustice is a real thing. Injustice is something that happens every time I sin. I violate God's law. And I have caused injustice. Every time. Okay, back to consequences. So there can be physical damage that comes out of this, right? And in most, in, in, in most, in, in some respect, in some times, and we talk about, you know, basically, you know, the offender making compensation. And typically it is, or, or not typically necessarily, but it is possible in the case of physical damage that the offender might actually be able to make restitution. And, and there's all kinds of, of, of precepts that God laid out at Mount Sinai for that, about that very thing, right? If a thief robs, what's he got to do? He's got to pay it back twice over, right? So there, there, are, there is possibilities in, in, in the case of physical harm to make amends, right? But it is not possible for, an amend, for, for, for the offender to make amends for the emotional harm. The offender might do things that, that help the offended tra tra make that transaction of, uh, to, to, towards healing. 
but an offender cannot heal that. And then finally, there's punishment. Punishment might seemingly be close to um, consequences, but actually, what is punishment intended to address? And I'm going to wait for an answer for this one. What is punishment intended to address? Did you answer me, Blake? I'm sorry. Justice. Justice. I was looking for the N in front of it. Uh, so I, that's why I couldn't, I was missing it. All right. I, I, truly, people, I'm going deaf, and uh, it's not fun, I have to tell you. Anyway, um, <clears throat> yes. Okay. Punishment is specifically intended to address the injustice. Well, we, the offense, so we've broken the offense now down into three different components. We've broken it down into sin, the consequences of sin, and the punishment for the injustice. Okay? So the offense, so so the so so see the 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 dynamics here are quite. I mean, they're not just I did a wrong. All right. When I sin, I have violated more than I I have indeed harmed someone. There is an offended. There are actually two offended. Are there not? Okay, so what's the point of, of, of this breakdown? Well, one of the things, one, one of my points is, is that, I, I don't know, I, you know, we sin all the time. I mean, it's, you know, it's just a matter of course, and, you know, so what's the big deal? <laughs> but you break it down like this, it's a big deal every time. Right? And maybe it's part of why God says He hates sin. Some sins have very minimal consequences. Praise God. But some sins have huge consequences. Some sins between people have huge consequences. And I believe one of those is the last word of the title of this chapter, abuse. But we may not get there, I don't know. Portia, um, dressed up as Balthazar, 
says to, and I don't remember the name of the merchant, in Act 4, Scene 1, of the Merchant of Venice. Though justice be thy plea, consider this, that in the course of justice, none of us should see salvation. We do pray for mercy, and that same prayer doth teach us all to render the deeds of mercy. Is Shakespeare effectively saying the same thing that, we, that was stated earlier? We forgive because we're forgiven. It is, I think, there, there is some, some strength to that st statement. I, now, I'm not an authority on this, so I'm working off of what Keller told me, but ancient societies really had no notion of forgiveness, he states. They were shame, honor. They, they managed the, th this problem of offense with shame and honor. What do I mean? What, does, to what do they mean by that? Well, basically, if, if you are offended, then it is your honor that must be regained. And how do you regain that honor? But by shaming or taking vengeance upon the offender. And so much of ancient society, because obviously there are offenses going on all the time, and depending on if you are higher up in the hierarchy of society, your honor is just that much more valuable. Okay? And if your honor is that much more valuable, what will become the nature of the shame? That much more severe, right? The proverb says, it is one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. Well, that's a shocker. To, honor, to a shame-honor society, wouldn't you think? Kind of doesn't fit. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. Proverbs 29, 23. Leviticus chapter 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip the vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes from your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord. You shall not steal and you shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. 
I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of the hired workers shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Why don't you wish you all got paid every day at the end of the day? You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. But you shall reason frankly, or that's the NIV, that's the ESV. The other translations, including NIV, NASV, BSV, say you shall rebuke. So reason, rebuke. Frankly, with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor. That, that, that whole that whole passage, and I read the whole pa the, the 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 meat of this conversation, the rest of the conversation that we're going to have today, is the, is the are is the last two verses, seventeen and eighteen. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall rebuke frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's the passage that, that Keller uses. I chose to read several paragraphs in front of that so that we, under, so that we can see the context, get a better feel of what God is, is saying and doing when he makes this statement. This passage right here is what in the New Testament? It's the second greatest commandment. Okay? And one, and one historian pointed out nowhere in antiquity and in ancient history, is there anything like this in law, in literature, anything? This is radical thinking to ancient societies. Well, okay, so 
All right, so you're using debt as as a you know a, in effect, you said you you said a debt of service, and uh, and and of course, well, I mean, you know, I think these these commands that we've seen that that I read, they do imply that in relation in community, and that's one of the main points that that's one of the big points that needs to be drawn that needs to be seen here, is that this the this is community, all right? This is people living amongst one another, with one another. It's neighbors, okay? <clears throat> now, I think from, from, you know, we look, we look at it and we kind of impose the people of God, you know, environment here. And, and, but, but I mean, yet that carries forward to his kingdom as well, right? Okay, so back to your question about, and the question is, did Keller tie the debt of service that we owe God to a debt of service that we owe one another? Is that stating the question? I love your neighbor, right. Okay, and... Well, so Keller has a, a more specific aim for this chapter. But, but, but yes, but I tell you what, let's move on and, and see if, if he, he doesn't necessarily specifically, but he does uh, secondarily, I guess. It's implied in some of the things that, he, that we're fixing to talk about here. So, what are the three things that, that passes? Those, and if you want to look it up, it's Leviticus 19. Is that right? Huh. Would you know it? 19, 17, and 18. Okay. What? There are three things in this passage that are forbidden. What are they? <clears throat> Sorry? Don't hate your brother. Okay. That's one. Speak up. Reason frankly. Okay. That's not forbidden. Forbidden. Three things that are forbidden. So what? No grudge. Okay. Yes, we are not to bear a grudge. Sorry? And take vengeance. Is that right? There you go. Who said that one? Marty? Okay. All right. We are not to seek vengeance, revenge. We are not to seek, we are, and, and I think that's kind of interesting. We're not to seek revenge. Doesn't mean that necessarily revenge might not happen. But if it happens, it is not to come from us. Where is it supposed to come from? What does Proverbs say? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Right? Why is that so? Because the injustice takes place where? With us and God. All right. <clears throat> we are not to hate where? In our hearts. 
believe it would I believe it would, would that would in fact indicate that if you're not hating in your heart, then you're not hating in action, right? In the Hebrew, uh, Keller says the Hebrew literally means to decrease in status, which in a shame honor shame society would be a direct hit on shame, right? And we are not to bear a grudge. Keller says the command not to hold a grudge is a clear command to forgive. I have to think about that. We all should think about that. Okay, there are two things that the passage requires, Michael. <laughs> and love your neighbor. <clears throat> and what is the basis for all of this according to the passage? Because I am the Lord. Keller says this meaning is crucial to grasp. Justice and love must be combined in us because they are combined in the Lord. Justice and love can be combined because they are combined in the Lord and he helps us. He titled, the, he titled this section, um, God's Justice and Love Change a Culture of Shame and Honor. No, I'm sorry. God's Justice and Love Create a Community of Reconciliation. Interestingly enough, he, he, I, he doesn't really press the point of community. But I would like to press the point of community. I mean, the, the whole context of this is in the community of Israel. All right? God's, God's laying down principles and precepts never seen anywhere in ancient history. Okay? for a community of people. What about this part, this section that Michael alluded to? But you shall reason or rebuke frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. What does that mean? Say what? You bear a grudge. Um, okay. And that would be my, and, and I would, those, those are my initial reading, and, 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 and obviously... They are very much implied in they, that, that, that I, these ideas 
or in other parts of this passage as well, right? I mean, he's point blank. Don't says don't bear, don't bear a grudge, and and I think the inference that that you're a little bit later in the fact, you're a little bit let's be more proactive kind of thing is let's get this out in the open, let's get this dealt with, so that I, as the offended, can handle this in a righteous way, right? In the context of community, you do not confront the perpetrator. The perpetrator has no idea that he has committed an offense. Well, he has an idea, but he doesn't understand it. It, it, it makes, has no bearing upon him. And he turns around and he does it to somebody else. Again. And he's not confronted there either, and so he turns around and he does it again to somebody else. In the context of community, you as the victim, do you have a degree of responsibility to the other two victims? As the first victim or as the second victim to the third victim, if you did not rebuke the brother. Say what? It depends. How so? Okay, so so Blake uh, is said it depends. I'm, I'm assuming. Did everybody hear that? I, I I've, if I was sitting back there, I wouldn't have been able to hear. Did all did all of y'all hear the, hear what Blake said? Okay, well then I won't repeat you. They they said they heard you so. Clearly, they have much better hearing than I do. Yes, sir. Okay, that's true. So, so for the people, for the sake of the recording. <clears throat> so Blake's comment was, it depends that there, there can be situations where I, as the offender, offended as the offended, can bear this without confrontation, without the need for confrontation. And I know that confrontation will be of no good. I think that's, I don't know as you actually said that, but I believe that you didn't say that, but I, I believe that ought to be a caveat to this. Yes, sir. Okay, real quick, real quick. So, so for the sake of the recording, let me get this down. Okay, so, 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 so Blake basically stated that he feels like that in some cases is probably not appropriate to confront the offender. Tom, on the other hand, believes or stated that really we need to see it that we owe it to our brother to at least give them the opportunity to be aware. And that's, I think that's why I'm putting in the caveat. I think we know of certain situations where we know that brother has already been confronted about this time and time again. And for me to go and do it one more time just exacerbates a problem. And so maybe wisdom would be that I would back off. But I would say, but, but, and, and the other thing, because I'm running out of time, the bigger implication here and the thing that we hardly ever talk about I think, or we don't ever really deal with, is accepting a rebuke. 
This only really works in a community where we understand how to accept a rebuke. Where we understand that, yes, we are offenders. Getting wound up again, as always. Yes, we are offenders. No, we don't want to be. Help us. We don't have that even in our, our Christian society. We do not teach this. Why? It's fundamental to loving one another. Why? Because it's hard. It's hard. I don't want you to tell me that I'm a lousy Sunday school teacher. I'm sorry. I just don't want to hear it. Now, that's, that's a trivial. That is not really. That's, that's, that's apples and oranges. But, but you, you get what I'm saying, right? You don't want to be rebuked. My goodness. Why? Nobody, nobody wants to be told they're an offender. That's loving them. You, you, I, I have to say, I have to say, I don't, I don't, it's, I don't go and I don't, I'm a non-confrontational person. I don't confront people because I'm scared. Okay? I don't want the controversy. I don't want the confrontation. I, you, you go and you do something like that and, and, and it's a risk. It's a risk to your relationship. All right? There's real risk, and, especially, and, the, and the risk is made higher if we're not teaching one another how to accept a rebuke, to, that to, to realize that we all are in this place, and if we all want to do better, we need one another to help one another, and sometimes it means the hard conversation. Well, this, this lesson took a turn that I hadn't thought about. Um, and, and, and perhaps it's because, once again, I'm a non-confrontational person, and I really I have been wrestling with how to deal with the, next, the, the, the meat of this chapter, which has to do with abuse. Abuse of the kind like Larry Nasser. Who's Larry Nasser? Say what? Well, the Olympic coach. Okay? Abuse like the kind that took place at Chapel uh, at Mars Hill Church. Abuse that takes place in other churches that don't necessarily and many of which have hit the media. And it's like, how in the world? Um, sorry, I have a phone going off in my ear. How in the world does this happen in the church? You know? 
But sin is what it is. And no one, not even us, is exempt from it. And it is a hard reality and something very hard to deal with. Very quickly, let me summarize what, what Keller does. If you'll recall in the case of Larry Nasser, there was a, a gymnast who came forward. Her name, her name was Rachel, Rachel Den Hollander. And Rachel was a Christian. And, and, and as she, and she knew the tremendous price she was going to pay to come forward. And, 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 it, and it was very expensive. In fact, at one point during the process, she actually thought of removing God from the equation because the, the, the counsel that she was getting from Christians was, was, was hurting her. But she decided, to not, she decided not to, and let me just take the time real quick. Let me read this, and then I'll finish up. Every other religion outside of Christianity relied on some form of doing enough good things to outweigh the bad as if life were just a balancing scale. And the damage from evil would go away if someone did enough charity work, said the right prayers, or took enough pilgrimage, but that's not justice. I knew Larry had helped create an autism foundation, which was great, but that good deed didn't stop my nightmares. The evil he did was there. The damage was done. Nothing could make that wrong disappear. She and her husband, who was a seminary student in, uh, at, at uh, Evangelical, I'm sorry, at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, they wrote a paper and they presented it to the Evangelical Theological Society entitled Justice, the Foundation of a Christian Approach to Abuse. And I'm going to stop here. Um, but, but, but what I, with, with that word ringing in our ears, justice, it is fundamental to why we are having these kinds of conversations, okay? It is related also to forgiveness. Justice is only possible because of the cross.